Are there any Jesus-loving people in this place this morning? <laughs> wow. Hey. They turned the lights off. I thought everybody got them left all of a sudden. Amen. Hey, will you thank this incredible worship team for leading this morning? Wow. My goodness. Well, good morning. Are you alive? You look good today. My name is Brady, and it's so exciting for me to have the opportunity to get in this torrential downpour stream and river that's flowing around this place these days. Thank you. One person. Um, it's kind of a good thing. Uh, it's great to be here with you. I thank God for the opportunity to come and share with you guys again. It's so good to see you. And um, it's always tough. I heard about what God has been doing here and how God moved in this place last week. Amen. And uh, thank God for giving strength to our dear friend Randy Hogue and how God just uses him in a mighty and a powerful way. But I want you to understand something. Last week was not revive. This whole month is revive. And I'm not a very smart human being. You'll figure out that real quick if, you, if we ever hang out. But there's one thing I've learned in moves of God that God's allowed me to be a part of, and it's simply this. Whatever it takes to usher in the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, and you know what I mean by that, don't you? I mean when God's on, on the scene and doing His work. Whatever it takes to get the presence of God moving, it typically takes twice that tenacity and intercession to maintain it and to keep God moving. And so that's why I say to you, last week was not the meeting. That's the beginning of what will hopefully be a tremendous change in the seasons that are to come in this church. It's not about last week. It's not about today. It's not about the next couple of weeks. You ought to be thankful that you belong to a church. If you do go here, you ought to be thankful you belong to a church where you got a red-headed stepchild preacher <laughs> who does not give a flip about anything except God move. And Chad, I want you to know I love you, man. Thank you for the vision for this. It's wonderful. And you can slip me a 20 anytime you want to on that moment, man. Listen, I want to give you a commercial real quick if I can, and then I'll get to preaching. I want you to do... How many of you know of somebody who is broken, who is wounded, who's going through a really rough, tough, crappy time in their life right now. Would you raise your hand up? You, man, almost everybody. Now, don't look at your husband. You'll ruin this whole... Yeah, he's doing a... But I want you to do something. Will you do something? If they live within the proximity of being able to get to this building at 6 p.m. tonight, will you take your phone out right now and will you get a hold of them? You say, I thought we were supposed to put our phones up in church. Get your phone out. You're going to get it out anyway. And get it out and say, I want you to go with me tonight to his house. You're not going to offend me. Get it out. Those of you that need to put your reading glasses on so you can see that big thing, get it out and text them right now. God did not have that person on your heart just because I asked you. Come on, help me now. You, and and, and, and if, just think about it this way. If just half of the people... Just half of the people who just now raised their hand up get one person here tonight. We'll have to shut down the lobby. I'll never forget years ago, I had preached many, many years in a little town, and I'm not going to say where because they'll be watching uh, somebody from there, and I'll 
hack somebody off from that town. But it is a town in another state that I said, God, if you send me back there one more time, I'm going to pull what little hair I've got left out. They were so dead, they couldn't get a used demon to run after them. You know what I'm saying? And I, I preached there for life. And every year I would go preach there and I'd be like, God, I can't do this another day. You're killing me. Next, next year, Brother Brady, we're so glad. Would you, would you please come and speak to us again? I'm like, Dad, come. yes, I'll come speak to your church. I'd go back. Nothing would happen. Five years, six years I went. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. The last night of that meeting, I said, do you know of somebody who needs, next to last night, I said, do you know of anybody who just needs Jesus? We ran about 45 people. This was not a mega church. I said, do you know of somebody who needs Jesus? Would you just try to get them here tomorrow night? And they looked at me like some of y'all. Yeah, I guess so, whatever. Folks, the next night, 127 people came to Jesus. And, and we started going home about three hours later because we prayed over people. It was an incredible thing. How many of y'all are glad that when God's on the scene, you don't have to question it, you know God's on the scene? Amen. You just know that he is. And so tonight is going to be one of those nights where I'm going to go uh, into the realm of just ministering to people, their hurts and their wounds. How many know we're in a wounded generation right now? We're in a wounded generation right now. And I pray that God will just use this time. Uh, I have literally not slept much in the last nights because I've had such a burden dropped on my heart for this meeting in ways that I have not had in a long time. And if you will indulge me this morning, and I'm gonna, I know y'all are used to Brady, those of you that come here, you're used to Brady coming in here and preaching and stuff. And um, I wanna share something with you today that's not gonna be fun to preach. Now I know I like to shout people and do everything. And I know some of you need to be lifted up in your life and I'll try to throw a little sugar in with this salt and pepper. But it's time to get serious about Jesus. It's time for us to get real about our lives. You don't have three shots at life or two shots at life. You've got one shot. And what I want to do today, and my Lord, I'm nervous even looking at y'all because I know you're looking at me going, what the flip are you fixing to do in this building? I want to take a very hard look today at salvation. Because if you're on a baseball field and you got the bat in your hand, and you hit the ball, and you take off running around the bases, and you touch second base and third base, but you forget to touch first base. It doesn't matter how sincere or how far you hit the ball. When you get home, you're called out. And I believe today with all of my heart, and I, I, I got to watch my emotions in this moment, I believe in this generation more than ever before, we've got a lot of people who love Jesus, who go to church, who love worship, and they've been in a pool of baptism. They've gone through all their church ordinances, but they've never touched first base. And first base is to repent of your sin and give your life, not your Sunday, but give your life to the only hope this world has. His name is Jesus. Amen. You think I'm on target? 
I pray I am. Before I preach, I got to pray. And if somebody could bring me a cigarette, I need one right now, if you don't mind. I'm just kidding. Don't log off. I'm just kidding. Father, in the name of Jesus, send your glory in this house. We've not come to hear a man. We've heard enough men. We've heard enough women. We've heard enough songs, and we have experienced enough sermons. We need your glory now. Send the kind of anointing that breaks bondages and yokes off of generational curses that are set in our trees, our family trees. God, there are men in this room today who don't need a motivational talk. They need a Savior. And their whole house depends on this. And God, you would not bug me and badger me and keep me awake. God, I, I trust you too much to question you. I know you well enough, Holy Ghost, that when you send this kind of a spirit, you have something that is going to shake the foundation of somebody's life. Amen. I ask you to speak now. May they hear the voice beyond this voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's going to be tough, but your word is medicine to our souls. Send it, O oh God. And I'm going to thank you in advance for what you're getting ready to do in this place. Your credit is good with me. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. All right, let's dig in. I want you to take God's Word. Do you have a Bible with you this morning? I'd love for you to take the copy of the Scripture and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 18. Matthew chapter 7. Y'all doing okay today? You look good. Are you awake? Are you alive? You look good. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. Again, it is very important for you to be here tonight. Gather up all the church members you can. Gather up all the Christians you can. Gather up that one person and try to get in this building tonight. Uh, it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal night of ministry. I, wished I, could, I wanted to do it this morning, but I'm going to give you a few extra hours to bring some other people with you. It will be good, I promise. All right? Matthew chapter 7, these are tough words, and that's why I feel this sense of heaviness on me. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, that sounds good. Let's go. Matthew 7, 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ugh. I don't see that in a lot of the motivational books we read today coming out of the church. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Listen to what Jesus says. This is not Brady. This is not a Baptist. This is not a Catholic. This is Jesus talking about our generation of church people, not hellions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, what day? The latter day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonderful works in your name? That I will declare unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Everybody look this way. How would you like to preach on that? In our generation of sugary, syrupy, sweet, come to Jesus, have your best life right now. Life is going to be great and wonderful. How would you like to preach the words of the King of Kings to a generation that doesn't want truth even in the church? I covet your prayers as I go through this. I want to talk to you today about this subject. We don't even have notes for it on the screen. I want to talk to you from this subject. Two roads to destruction. Two roads to destruction. It's very plain. Uh, black and white sermon this morning. Jesus says there is a narrow road that leads to heaven. It's a narrow road. And people have always said that are critics of the church, they'll say, well, wait a minute, it's a narrow road. Jesus makes it so hard. It's all this Christian stuff. It's so hard. Jesus doesn't make the narrow road hard. It's narrow because there's only one way on that road, and it's not a narrow, sweet, little confined way. The fact that you know that he is the narrow road ought to make you say, thank you, God, that I'm on the narrow road. And I doubt that, I dare say in a room of this many people and people watching right now, there are people sitting looking at me right now. You are on that narrow road. And, and you, don't have, you, you know that God has rocked your world. You know that God changed, not your Sunday. There's something about, have you ever been around somebody who you know has been with God in their life? If you're ever around somebody you know has been with God, you can sure enough tell when you're around people who haven't been with God in their life. You can tell because it's just they enjoy church or they enjoy this, but there's something about being on that narrow road that leads to heaven. So don't think it's a bad thing when Jesus Christ says it's a narrow road. It's tough to say that in our generation, that, that the road to heaven is, because people will say all the time, well, you know what, there's, there's like my friends will say to me sometimes, well, you know, Brady, we're, we're all trying to get to the top of the same mountain. We're all trying to climb the same, through the same place. We're all on the way. And some people take the southern route up the mountain. Some people take the northern route. Some people get on the eastern or western side. And it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have sincere beliefs and everything is wonderful because it's really going to all lead to the same place. The problem with that kind of thinking is it's not in the Bible that you say you believe. Hello, one, two, one, two. Was that too strong? It's just not in the Bible that you say you believe. It never came off the lips of the Jesus that you say you have given your life to. Jesus says there's a narrow road that leads to heaven. There's a narrow road that leads to eternal life. There's a narrow road that leads to life everlasting. And I can look right now at people in this room, and you don't like that thought. I don't like that thought either. But I don't get a vote, and neither do you. I mean, without God's permission, you don't catch your next breath in a fast convertible. God has a narrow road. But I want you to know today, my friend, listen to me, because we've been praying for you a long time. And somebody bugged you and badgered the snot out of you to come to this church today. And you walked, pulled up on this parking lot, you're wondering, why am I even here today? Some of you are here, and you don't go to church hardly at all. We're so glad you're here. There's some that are here, you come to this church every Sunday. But something is missing in your life. 
And you try to fill it with things that will not give you peace. And I'm praying for you too. And I don't even know your name. I want today to be a day where you understand that the road to heaven is a very narrow way. But listen to this phrase. As narrow as that road is to heaven, as narrow as that road is that leads to eternal life, as narrow as that road is, I want you to know there's room for you. There's room for you on that road. Jesus says there's a narrow road to heaven. Now, that's the best news I can give you in this sermon. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry that I'm going to preach this. He says there's a broad road that leads to destruction. I believe that this road is broad for one reason. It's so broad that it has enough room for several lanes. On one side of that road, on one side of that lane, let's say on the broad road to hell, they're all marching the same direction. But there's a lane over here that has the atheist, the agnostic, the, the infidels, the, 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 the filthy mouth, the, the reprobates, the new agers, the people that we see in our culture that just don't have anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with your church. They don't want anything to do with your Jesus. They'd rather just believe good stuff and have good positive thoughts, and they're just marching. It's the God haters. It's the people who don't want anything to do with anything to do with this Bible or your Jesus or church or anything. They are reprobate. They are on their way and they're not just slinking across the horizon down this road. They are marching down this broad road in their lane with their fist in the air saying to hell with everybody. And it's so funny they're saying that. Not funny in a hilarious way. It's unique. It's, it's, it's amazing that they would say to hell with everybody and they march that road. And we live in a generation where people are marching, marching, marching nowadays more than they were 10 years ago. It's amazing how proud people are to live in a generation where they just live their way and they don't care about anything. It's a broad road. And in this one lane, I can see, if you can imagine in your mind at this time of day, if you can imagine the people just marching with their fist in the air, saying, I don't need this God. And we hear it every day. But the road is big enough for another lane. Over here in this other lane, what Jesus is saying. And I, when I saw this in the scripture, it blew my mind. In this other lane, on this other road are deceived good people. They've been good. Listen to me. They've been taught to live right. They've been taught to do right. They go to church. They love worship. They love singing. But they don't realize that both lanes are on the same road that ends in the same place. Jesus said it this way. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, I've healed the sick, I've raised the dead. And guess what? Everybody that Jesus is talking about has done more for Jesus in this sentence than all of us put together have ever done. You never cast out a devil. You've never healed anybody in Jesus' name. You, you've never done, uh, he says, all of that stuff. He said, I will declare unto you, I, watch this, I never knew you. 
I'm sorry, I hate to mess with your theology. Not I knew you and you took your salvation and threw it away. How can you throw away something that was not yours to give in the first place? This is God's salvation on your life. And I want to preach that right there for a second because I'm looking at some people. You think you can go out, have a brain fart, and have some kind of a sinful thought, and you fall off the heaven's wagon. Who would want to serve a Savior who would give, who would give you uh, credentialed salvation based on how you perform? I need a God who is in my life when hell is at my doorstep. I don't know what kind of God you got. If you want a God that will just throw you away and let you just release your salvation and go on and be a lost person again, then serve him all you want to. But I want to thank Jesus this morning that I got a God who didn't have to die twice on the cross, three times. I have a God who is not dead. He is alive and he is well. He is my king. He secured me. I am in him. If you want to be lost, go ahead. But I thank Thank God I'm on a road and I have him in my life. He says, I will declare unto you, I never knew you. You know what the word never means in Greek? It means never. <laughs> Not I knew you and you screwed up. He said, depart from me. Watch this. You workers of iniquity. Do you know what a worker of iniquity is? This blew my mind. A worker of iniquity is God is saying this to these people. Look at me, brother. Look at me, sister. Especially those of you that love his house ministries. For you to go to church, for you to love the ministries of this church, for you to love to take your kids in there to that children's church, for you to love, look at me, students, love to come here for the student program, for you to love to bring your family here, for you to love to give your money, to see miracles, to, do, to sing, to do whatever it is, without having your life saved and changed by God, you are doing the work of iniquity. And according to the book of Revelation, and I know I'm going heavy on you, the work of iniquity only increases the temperature of hell. There are people in this world who have never heard the gospel preached once. You hear it over and over, and you're still sitting in a church week after week, and your life has never been changed. I'm going out the back door when I get done with this sermon, by the way. All the good things you do for God without your life being changed, it is a work of iniquity. God's sitting saying, you know what God wants some of us to know today? I know you've done good. I know you've been to church. I know you've grown up in church. I know you're in West Kentucky or wherever you live. I know you know about me. I know you know about me. I know you know about my words. I know you know about a little bit of my spirit. But it is, it is. I know you're sincere, but it is the work of iniquity to do church things without being born again over the course of your entire life. And I'm looking at some of you today, and if we were to peel back the show and the lights and the cameras and the action and get down to the base level of who you are, there are some of you sitting here who go to church every Sunday, and you are so empty. And you suffer in silent frustration because you're worried, aren't you? What will people think? What would my child think? I had a lady walk up to me not long ago, and I didn't even preach on this stuff. I was preaching on, you know, like I normally do, ministering to broken people like we're going to do tonight, and you've got to be here tonight. But listen to me. She walked up to me, and she said, I've been in church my whole life. She said, I faked it so long. Talking about salvation. I faked it so long, I forgot it could even be real. And I'm looking at some good old Graves County folks. 
who you're taught in the belt buckle of the Bible belt from the moment you come to Jesus that you're supposed to take your kids to church, you're supposed to grow up in church, you're supposed to do good things and obey your mama. And let me tell you something. Some of you have done all that, and none of that is proof positive that you're going to heaven if you die before you get to your driveway. See, there's a difference between conversion and regeneration. The Bible says that regeneration is when God births his life in us. Because I hear people say a lot of times, well, I, was, I went to a denominational church and I was converted to Christ. Well, who cares? I can convert to being a Baptist. I can convert to being a Buddhist. Of myself, I can convert to do anything I want to do. But I cannot, big word, regenerate myself. What is regeneration? Regeneration is the work of God birthed by the power of the Spirit of God when God touches a human life, touches your spirit, and shows you that you don't have what it takes to get to heaven on your own, nor live the life, and, and nor walk into the destiny that God has for you. And in that moment, the Spirit of God births with your spirit, and he regenerates and births himself in your life. Many of you, that's never happened. You just said, I, somebody told you to go down to, you know, sign a card, pray a prayer. And anytime somebody continues to serve, this is what Jesus said. This is not me. This is what Jesus said. He said, anytime somebody continues to go to church, serve church, love church, without being born again, regenerated, they're increasing the temperature of their punishment. There are people in the world who hadn't heard the gospel preached once, and you've heard it 15,000 times, and you still got morality issues in your life. Now, thank God for grace, and I'll talk about that all day long. But just for the sake of the illustration, on one road, on one lane over here are the sinners, the out-and-out God deniers. But I want you to see this other road that I think in our generation, the enemy, Satan, the devil, the Bible says he's real. He camouflages this other road more now so than when I preached this 25 years ago. It's covered with good people, and they don't even realize they're walking the same direction. You say, well, Brady, if I'm deceived, wouldn't the Spirit of God let me know? No, because a deceived person at this point doesn't know they're deceived. If I give you a glass of milk today and, and say, hey, here, enjoy this glass of milk, and you turn it up, what you don't realize is I've laced it with arsenic. But what you think you're drinking is beautiful, pure, you know, milk. But you're, what you're, when you think that, naively, you're actually drinking poison. And I'm looking at some people today, and I love you, and I would not offend you for anything in the world. But it's more important for me to see you in heaven than see you shout on a Sunday morning. And I want you to understand, there are men in this room. I have had such a burden for men. Your wife is doing all the spiritual stuff for you. Your kids are living like hell, and you're trying to figure out how to keep Jesus at an arm's length. Brother, I'd get saved this morning if I was you. I'd be the first one to say, I need God in my life. You want to be a stand-up man? Give your life to Jesus. Because real men do the right thing. Some of you women are here. You need God. You need God to endure. You need Some of you teenagers... You cannot continue in your life. You go, if you're going to love this Jesus, I tell teenagers all the time, if you want to go be an atheist, agnostic, or whatever, go live like that. But if you're going to sell out to this Jesus, do it every day of your life. Why can't I sell out to Jesus, Brady? I'll tell you why. Because you've never been born from above, so you can live him below. 
I'm scared to death for people. It's the silent frustration of my own life because I look at people every day of my life preaching all across this world who don't have one faint desire to live different in their life. And that's a lot of you sitting here today. Please don't confuse loving lyrics off of a screen and good, um, good uh, uh, tuned instruments or voices that come across. Listen, you go to Bridgestone Arena or the Yum Center and have a good concert and get the same kind of goosebumps that this music gives you here and this ministry gives you here. That don't make you a child of God. There's a conflict going on in some people's lives in this room. It won't take me but just a minute to finish this. I know you're excited that I'm going to hurry up and finish this. But I want you to hear my heart, and I want you to hear the heart of God. Because we don't preach on this stuff much anymore. Some of you have a conflict. You say, well, Brady, if that's me and I'm on this broad road over here, how do I know I'm in this conflict? Here it is. And these are not original with me, but I've been preaching them for years. They feel like they're mine. Some of you have a conflict in your life. I'm going to give you three of them, okay? A conflict of past versus present. Will you, will you say that out loud with me? Just say past versus present. You, you go around your town and you say, you say, you say are you, hey man, are you, you, I didn't know you were a Christian. Are you, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. You, you don't go to church? No. Do you have a desire to go to church? You just hadn't found the right place yet? I mean, I've, I've been there in my life. I, I just hadn't found the place I belong, you know? Yeah, uh, no, not really. Well, when did you, you get saved? 1997? 1954? People listen to me today. Will you look up here? There is not one place in this Bible that God ever points to salvation as something done in the past. Salvation by its definition is you were saved, you are saved, and you continue to be saved by the God, watch me, who keeps you saved. Now you say to me, you say, but Brady, wait a minute. Don't you believe that if a person really, you know, if they got saved in 19... 54 or 1812 or whenever that they're still saved now? Yes, but listen to what I'm telling you. A salvation back yonder that has had from back yonder until now. No present day holiness, no change, no very little if any growth in their life. If it has no past day uh, and no present day evidence, the problem is this, it has no past day truthfulness. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Baptist. I don't care if you're a Catholic. I don't care if you're a, 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 a Calvinistic a Presbyterian or a tongue-talking Pentecostal. If your salvation in the past has no evidence in your present, you're not a Christian. You say, I don't like that. Does it really matter what you like? A doctor who sits in front of you and tells you that you've got a headache when he knows the report says cancer, he doesn't love you. And for, for, we, for us preachers to stand up here and keep telling you, you're okay, love Jesus, press in. 
knowing full well that what happened to you as you count as your salvation experience never really did anything with your life. It's because of one reason. You touch second base and third base, but you never hit the altar with first base on your life. And you may have given your Sunday to Jesus. You may have improved. Look at me. You may have better thoughts now than you ever had, but that does not mean you're a child of God. Oh, God, I hate this. You probably got a good dab of religion. And the county, those of you who are watching on the internet, the county we're in right now is saturated with religion. Well, mama said I ought to go to church. So I went down the church aisle and I gave my life to Jesus. Daddy said I ought to get right. We, oh, we, hey, we got married. We acted like complete, utter hellions while we were dating and got married. And now we got this little baby and somebody told us we ought to go to church. So we walked down the aisle and we told Brother Chad, we want to come join in the church here. Let me tell you something, and I say this because I love you. You could, you could join every church in your county and not see one sparkle off the gates of heaven. I know people that are older. I wasn't even going to say this because these young people are like, what? But there's a lot of people that came out of what we call the old-time religion where everybody shouted, had sawdust, tent meetings, and everybody shouted, sang gospel songs, and had a big flipping time, and, and, and there was no commitment and no change. You know how I know? Because our generation got worse. I want you to know something today. In order for your life to be changed, you don't need old-time religion, and for God's sake, you don't need new time, new more work. God, you've got enough worship music in your, on your iPod. You've got enough church in your life that you can have. You can have access church and podcasts on the Internet right now. You can do anything in the world, but it's not fixing you, is it? Because you don't need old-time religion or updated religion. You need all-time Jesus salvation in your life. See, the devil is so smart. That's why I can stand up here or chat or somebody can stand up here and preach a message like this. And you sit there and you go, well, this is just really not for me. Sorry, this is not what I like. This is not the kind of sermon that I like. And this is not what I like to hear preach. Well, guess what? It's because the enemy has deceived you. And, a and again, a deceived person doesn't know they're deceived. So we have to get beyond our little church stuff and what you like about church and what kind of music you like and where you like to go. And we need to get down to the baseline of every bit of it, the rock bed, bottom dollar, and that is this. Look at me, lady, please. Has Jesus Christ ever changed your life? And I don't mean for a weekend. Has he changed you? A lot of these young people live in this hyper, over-the-top grace thing where you can just come to Jesus, get bopped on the head, get your heart kind of fluttering, and just go live like a hellion. I thank God for grace on my life. But the moment I met Jesus, not only did I know I met him, but he knew he met me. And from that moment until now, I don't, it's not that I got changed. I want to keep on changing. I want my life to count for something other than a selfish existence. The devil is so smart. I hope and pray that God just wakes you up as a married couple. Wakes you up as a single person. Because he's been smart. And he's camouflaged 
This other lane on this road with church membership and giving good money and being good and singing and youth programs and all that stuff, and you're deceived thinking you're on the narrow road, but you're marching over the horizon toward a destruction that you don't want to go to. You say, but Brady, I'm so sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. How many things in your life already have you been sincere about, but you were wrong? Oh, a thousand things. Well, this is much more important than anything else. I'll never forget years ago, I was in a hospital visiting a friend of mine, and I was in the hallway, and I heard screaming down that hallway. And I, I leaned out, because, you know, inquiring minds want to know. And I was looking down the hallway, and I looked up, ladies and gentlemen, and this family, I found out later, it was a family, had the doctor cornered and was just about to punch his lights out. I went down there, I, I talked to him after the skirmish ended. I said, what in the world is going on? You know what they did? They brought their elderly mother in to have a, an eye removed. She had an eye that had gone bad, and she needed her eye removed inadvertently by mistake. The doctor removed her good eye. He was sincere, but he was wrong. And I'm telling you today, sincerity is not a test of salvation. No, it's not. Adolf Hitler sincerely believed the Jewish people were rotten human beings, scum of the earth, didn't even think they were human beings, and they needed to be thrown out as a scuffling bunch of, 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 of nothingness and wiped off the face of this planet, and he went to great lengths to make sure he was doing God's will. He was sincere, but he was wrong. You can be sincere and lost. You can be sincere and hellbound. You cannot just be saved, listen to me, because you had an experience in the past. People, here's the argument I hear a lot. Pastors hear this more than I do. Well, what if, what if I'm just backslidden for 50 years? 50 years? You, you got saved and jumped up backslidden? Now, if you don't know what backsliding is, because today we have to explain what that is. In the tradition that we're talking from today, backsliding means you are a born-again child of the living God that loves God, but you're wrestling with some sin and morality issues, and your flesh is in the way. A backslider will always wrestle with their flesh. And I hear people say it all the time. I just, in fact, I got off the phone yesterday with a friend of mine who said, Brady, pray for me, man. I got lust in my heart. Will you come pray with me? I'm dealing with lust in my heart, man. I'm, 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 I'm just dealing with that stuff. Those mental images of pornography are in my life, man. And I, I don't want that in my life. I want God to be glorified. He cried on the phone. A backslider, a person who knows Jesus, but is having a time period in their life of slipping back into old habits, addictions, pain, and sin patterns will weep because they don't want to hurt the heart of God. But a good old lost church person, if you will, struggles with the Spirit. Some of you heard Randy Hogue preach last week, and you have not slept at all because the Spirit of God's battling with your spirit. The Spirit of God says to you, you need to be saved. 
The Spirit of God is speaking right now in this moment, saying, that bald guy up there is talking about your life. You like church. You enjoy church. You've done all that, but you're going to go, but, 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 you're, but you're not changed in your life. That scripture applies to you. The Spirit of God battles with that lost person. The backslider is always weeping over the fact that their flesh is kicking up. I'm getting tempted. Pray for me, Chad. I'm getting tempted. Pray for me, Brady. I feel weak. I don't want to dis- I don't want to mess with this what God, I don't want to taint anymore what God is doing in my life. That's how you know. How do you know that you're a child of God? When you sin, does it lead you to repentance? Or does it just lead you to guilt in which you just keep on going? You say, well, why doesn't the good lost, lost good person, if you will, struggle with the flesh? Because it's no problem to them. It's like the woman that said to me one time, she said, you know what? I, she said, I, I, I've been doing some things with my boyfriend that I should not be doing. And it was not, and, and please, it went way beyond just sex, which is enough. But she said, I have been struggling with a lot of things in my life. And I just looked at her because I could tell she didn't have any remorse on her. And I just looked at her. If she told me the things she'd been doing with her life, she said, I've been struggling with all this stuff. And I just looked at her and I said, how bad are you really struggling with this? And she admitted I'm not really struggling with it. I just thought I'd tell you. She was as lost as, a, as she could be. She wasn't struggling with the flesh. She was gratifying her flesh. And I'm looking at some of you here right now under the sound of my voice. You, you enjoy the flesh. You enjoy your old nature. You have taken Jesus Christ. I know what you've done. God painted this picture in my heart. You've taken Jesus and attached him to your good life. If you're a child of God, listen to how I say this. You don't live your life in unrighteousness in any old way you want to. See, goodness is not the issue. That's the problem in the belt buckle of the Bible belt of Kentucky. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. Oh, she's good. He's good. I've heard people say, I've, heard, I've, I've had women walk up to me and she'll say, you pray for my husband, he doesn't know Jesus, but let me tell you something, Brady, he's got a good heart, and I'm nice and I'm kind, but I'm thinking, he doesn't have a good heart, he has a wicked heart. Jeremiah says, and by the way, I want to say to her, how do you even know his heart? The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. You don't even know your own heart. How in God's name do you think you can know somebody else's heart? woman walk up to me. She said, she said, well, I'm good. People say all the time, I'm good. He's good. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said about good people that are better than any of you and me put together. They were called the Pharisees. These people went to church every day. Can you imagine? They went to church every day. They loved the word. They weren't, I know when we say the word Pharisee today, it sounds like a bunch of people that we think, man, I don't want to hang out with them Pharisees. Let me tell you what Pharisees were. Pharisees loved the word of God so much they would wrap around their body a thing called, like a tunic, and they would write on little pieces of paper the Hebrew Old Testament. They so appreciated and loved the word of God, they would take it and tuck it up under, right on their heart under this tunic thing. So everywhere they went, symbolically, 
They had scripture on their heart. They would wrap this bandana thing around their forehead, a phylactery type thing, and they would take those Hebrew Testaments, put it up here all over. So symbolically, they would have scripture on their mind. They went every day to church. They prayed every day. They lived pure, upstanding lives. And Jesus turned to the rest of us called Gentiles and said this to all of us, the rest of the people, unless your goodness exceed the goodness of these Pharisee people, you won't make it to heaven. You know what scares me? Is that I'm looking at some of you, you've not even come up to the level of the Pharisees' love of God and serving God and praying and loving God. You're not even at that level yet. And Jesus says when you get to their level, you still won't make it. You're not struggling with your flesh. You're gratifying your flesh. Jesus, for you to say, I'll live this way any way I want to, and nobody's going to talk me out of my life, no preacher's going to tell me how to live, watch me, because way back yonder, I gave my life to Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you did that, there is a difference in your life now. And look at me. Look at me. I know what you're thinking. It's not improvement in your mind. It's not morality improvement. It's not motivational improvement. When you give your life to Jesus, there is a change. And let me tell you this. Look at me. Everybody closest to you knows you've been changed. If you have to keep telling people you're a Christian... Maybe you've got the problem and not the church you go to. Oh, God. Old preacher said it to me like this when I was a teenager. Son, you don't live like hell and go to heaven. Here's what I'm saying to you. If your experience in the past has no, president, has no evidence in the present, something's wrong. Oh, let me, can I debunk one more thing? since this point is going so well. Brady, I'm trying to be a Christian. Have you ever seen a prune try to be a peach? <laughs> Good God, I wished all of them would. Have you ever seen a prune try to be a peach? Listen to me. You don't try to be a Christian. You don't try to be a Christian. I'm talking about being God's life being birthed in you. I'm looking at volunteers in this church. You don't serve Jesus in this church because you are a Christian. You serve Jesus because you're trying to become something. Maybe absolve guilt of your past. But it's not because you've been regenerated to God. The only way a peach can... Well, this is deep theology. You know how a peach becomes a peach? It has to come off a peach... Why did I do that? I have no idea. The only way an apple can be an apple is it has to come off an apple. The only way a prune can be a prune is because it just come off prune, whatever. Well, the only way you're a Christian, the only way a person can become a Christian is if they are born again from the tree of righteousness, which the tree is the one Jesus hung on, which is the cross, the wood, the cross, of which life died and then died and then died and then got up on Easter Sunday morning. The only way you can, you cannot be a Christian by trying to become a Christian. You are born. 
born again. When God changes you, you talk different, you act different, you think different. I met Jesus as a nine-year-old boy. Today they're burying my spiritual father who was a truck driving preacher who led me to Jesus as a nine-year-old boy. I, he, he, he gave me uh, tutoring in how to preach. He, gave, he le- preached my ordination and has been my spiritual confidant. And they bury his body this afternoon. But I think in my life as I lost him to the, to the glories of heaven the other day, I think to myself, okay, I met him. And before I'm preparing to preach this message, I'm thinking, okay, okay, Brady, make sure you got this right. He led you to Jesus. His example led you to Jesus. What's happened to you since that moment that he led you to Jesus? Has it been all honey and no bees? Are you crazy? I lost all my hair messing with church people because of the calling that God has on my life. But I am a blessed man because I've seen some of the biggest moves of God on United States and North American soil than just about any other preacher in the world. And nine times out of ten, I did nothing to usher it in. But I have stood and seen the power of God in incredible ways. And listen to me. You know what God reminded me recently? John 6, Brady, don't you ever forget, no man comes unto me unless the Spirit draw him. I'm going to be honest with you. God changed my life about, started changing my ministry about probably 15 years ago. I have stood on platforms and I have seen thousands of people come to Jesus. That's why I refuse to count numbers. I know it's important to count and and we love to say, hey, you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life to Christ and you and I am so glad that we can do that. But you know what the truth of the matter is? Nobody knows the real truth. If I'm in a church and I say, how many of you five-year-olds would like to go to Dairy Queen? Come down here to this altar. I get run over. And as much as we laugh at that, unfortunately, that's exactly how some of you came to Jesus. You didn't get saved and you'd never get saved because you come down an aisle with somebody who has been saved. And I have seen people by the thousands. And I say this as a, as a, I say this to you today as an absolute nail in my heart because I sincerely believed I was doing God's will. I have seen people bow their heads in altars by the thousands. I've seen them open their eyes, go out to a counseling area. You know, we do these big, big events. And it is not only apparent to them, it becomes apparent to me and the person they're talking to and the people they ride home with. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Because folks, look at me. Salvation is a definite experience, isn't it? Look at me. Come on, come on. Some of y'all don't believe that. You know why? Because you never experienced it yet. Salvation is not this ethereal thing that grows on you over time. Salvation is a definite experience in which your life, not your Sunday, but your life is changed. Your marriage is changed. Your kids see somebody's new. Your, your, your co-workers see something in you because God's spirit is in you, which is the magnet that draws people to him. Look at me. 
It's not a matter of you saying, well, I need to be a Methodist, so I'll go get christened. Or, or we, I, I want to be a Baptist, so I'll go down there and join the church. Or I want to be a Presbyterian, so I'll recite shorter catechisms. Or I want to be a really good Catholic, so I'll go meet with, the, uh, with Father, and we'll do it. Listen to me, and I want you to hear this. I'm not, I'm not being mean, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Salvation is never the act of a church. It is always the act of your heart. Hey, I've been called a church basher. Somebody said to me not long ago, I said, Brady, I don't think you ought to be belittling church ordinances. Listen to me. I'll belittle anything you use as a substitute for Jesus. You put your baptism, you put your, your, your oh, forgive me, going public in front of repenting and giving your life to God? In this new generation of church, I f I'm scared spitless because we've made that the testimony that your life has changed. That's not the testimony to the world. That's just the testimony to the church. Some of you got baptized, dunked in this water last week. Some of you this morning. Some of you six months ago. Some of you ten years ago. And it has become utterly apparent to you, nothing happened. And if you went into that tub or wherever you went, whether you were sprinkled as a kid or whatever you count, and you say, that was my go public moment, other than repenting of your sin and giving your life to God. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That right there means you came in a dry center and you came up a wet center. You can be dunked out. If baptism can save you, I know some people I'll be staked out in Kentucky Lake overnight. Well, Brady, I didn't get christened or sprinkled. I got baptized. Well, does it make any difference? Because when Jesus comes back, we're reading about when he comes back and judges the universe. He's not coming back to check your water level. He's coming back to check his blood level to see if his DNA is in you. It's amazing to me how we're missing this. But that lane is so camouflaged in the houses represented here in this room. Because he's made it believe, the devil has made us to believe that you can take Jesus, accept him, and then live your life just in nothingness. Spending your life searching for destiny and purpose. Can I tell you the truth about what the Word of God said? I hope you believe me. I hope you hear my heart. The truth of the matter is, if, you've, if you're not blood-bought, and when you get blood-bought, that means, listen to me, blood from heaven, from the cross, is infused into your DNA, and his DNA becomes more important than your human DNA, and he begins to live his life through you, and he cleanses you and gives you a second chance at life, and if that has never happened to you, you're not. Listen, here, here it is. Here, here, let me just say it this way. If you've met Jesus, you're changed. You were changed, you are changed, but you're not done. There's still something in your heart saying, I don't want to stop. What does the Bible say? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When God in heaven changes your life until the day you die, you want to keep on changing for God. 
And I face people all across this country and around this world who go to good churches with good programs who don't have one faint desire to be different. And I don't understand that. Because here's the point I've been trying to make for the last half hour. Every person who ever met Jesus in the Bible, their life was changed forever and many of them died declaring the truth and died as martyrs because of the power of the change that happened in their life. They gave their careers up, their lives up, and we can't get you to church one time a year? You say you love God, you're dropping your kids off and slinking back home to watch a freaking ball game. Do I need to preach to them? Because y'all look unhappy over here. Come on, somebody help me preach. You know it's true. And you sit in church like on a day like today, knowing that nothing is right in your life. Oh, you've made a couple of little changes. But salvation is a change in your life. I know it's real. I know it's so real in my heart and my life. But, but uh, you can be around people who aren't even convinced that it's real. Jesus comes in your life. There's a spiritual appetite. Do you have a spiritual appetite for God? You see, there's a... There's a conflict between the past versus the present. Let me give you the last two. They're, they're real fast. The other one, if you don't mind to say this out loud, the second conflict that's in some people's lives is taste versus eat. Will you say that taste? Taste versus eat. Where do you get that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. Write this scripture down. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. Listen to what I read to you. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, listen, and who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become, listen to this one, partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted, there it is again, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Everybody look this way. Not one place in this Bible, I've tried to find it, is salvation ever referred to as something you taste. You don't taste Jesus. You consume Jesus. Flip it over. He doesn't taste you. He consumes you. Jesus did not die naked on top of the town garbage dump to give you an opportunity to just taste him. The Bible says many people have tasted. That's what the Bible says. Many people have tasted salvation. That's what we're doing today. Many people have tasted righteous living. Many people have improved, and they've even tasted the idea of the Holy Spirit. You've gone to conferences. You've been to camps. You've been to places, been to this church or somewhere where you felt something moving in you, and you, and you said, well, that's good. I, I and that's where some people are, that you've tasted Christianity, but Christ is not in you. He's not consumed your life. If you don't believe the Bible, and you certainly have no reason to believe me, maybe Billy Graham's words might get you. Billy Graham said for 50 plus years of public ministry, many people sitting in front of me in this Coliseum or wherever he would be, many people sitting here have just enough of Jesus to be immune to him. You know, this fall, you're going to go get a flu shot. Everybody's going to tell you, go get a flu shot. Do you know what they give you when, they, when you get a flu shot? They give you the flu. 
Why? So when the real thing comes, the real flu virus says, oh, the flu's already in there. Let's go to somebody else. What is it? You've been inoculated from the real thing. Could it be that church membership, which we don't really have a lot here, church membership, being good, listening to good music, loving the, the, the being around other Christians, listen to this one, living in community with people who do love Jesus, all that stuff has become a way to camouflage you where you're always tasting Christianity, but Jesus has never really changed you. You think it's good to go to church. That's why you're here. You've tasted. You think it's good for people to teach, be taught the word, help people, help your neighbor. You've tasted, but you've never been changed. You've been enlightened, you've tasted, you've improved, but you've never been indwelt and affected and ultimately, by God, infected by the power of God, and you are just as lost as an atheist, according to Jesus. You tasted, but you've never eaten. You taste. I like Bethel music. I like Hillsong. I like, I like this preacher. I like this teacher. I like this. I like this. I like that. And you just keep tasting and tasting and tasting and tasting and tasting and tasting, and your taste will change next week with the new next big Christian artist on CCM that comes out and the next new preacher, and you'll taste on them, and you'll taste on that, and none of that is a sign that you are a child of God. Past versus present. It's a conflict. Taste versus eat. You love church. You love this ministry. This is, a cool, this is a cool place, isn't it? And guess what? When Jesus comes back, this place will be a heap of nothing. Jack Fisher and I took off in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, from, and I'm not naming the church, but it's one of the biggest churches in a certain denomination. And we took off in a little old puddle jumper airplane from Memphis International Airport. And we flew over at 5,000 feet. Everybody loves this big old huge church. Uh, they, they, they love this church. Oh, it's just been the church of the ages down there in Memphis, Tennessee. And we were flying over just at 5,000 feet. I don't think the tin can could go any higher than that. And we were flying along, and I happened to look out, and I saw that big old fortress down there. And from 5,000 feet, I couldn't even see it. And the thought crossed my mind, if I can barely see it, how much higher is God? Because he's not really interested in your buildings and all that stuff that you think is so important. He's interested in that soul sitting in there. He's interested in you today. He's interested in your addiction. He's interested in your brokenness. He's interested. I wish you knew how much God has been. Ch Have you not stopped long enough to look at your life and see how God's been chasing you? The car wreck didn't kill you because God's chasing you. The cancer didn't kill you because God's chasing you. Your sexual molestation didn't kill you because God's still got a plan for you. God wants your life. He doesn't want your Sunday. And if you'll give up on your stupid pride and come to Jesus today and just say, God, I need you. I don't want to taste you anymore. I don't, I want you, I don't want to just, I want to, I want to eat you, Jesus. But more than that, I want you to consume my life. That's a test that you're you're being regenerated into Jesus. The last point that I want to share with you is the most important. Will you listen? Y'all listen so good. I want to share this for this reason, and I got to go quick. 
The reason I want to share this last point with you, this is the point that years ago, a girl that I grew up with, and it's very important to me, I mean, it's just kind of an important thing. I was preaching a revival in my home church in Martin, one of the biggest moves of God I've ever seen in that town. You know, prophet is not without honor except in his own country. But at least for a second, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to Jesus. One of the first people came to Jesus. I watched her. I grew up with her. She's sitting about five rows back. And I could tell, it's preaching on this right here years ago. And she was looking at me like some y'all, you know, just like, good gosh, shut up. You know, and that's back when I wore a tie and had my Paul Mitchell in the jail and, you know, and use your imagination. And uh, it was this point right here that all of a sudden I saw her do like this and her eyes open. I, this is one of the best Christian girls I grew up with. Bi what we used to call Bible drillers, singer, loved God. All of a sudden, I looked up, and she was running down this aisle, standing there, and I kept looking at her like, what? Not you. I mean, you're the best Christian I know. See, some of you right here today, look at me, you're worried right now. What if I go down there and receive Jesus? What would somebody think? What will my, what my wife thinks I'm a Christian. My husband thinks I'm a Christian. My dad thinks I'm a Christian. I, I went public in the baptistry, and everybody thinks I'm a child of God. I serve. I, I've taught the Word of God. I've experienced the Word of God. Let me tell you something. The Satan knows the Bible better than you. And some of you are so worried, aren't you, lady? Some of you are... See, we think just because somebody's 50, 60, 70 years old, oh, they're, they're mature in the faith. Let me tell you something. I have found that some of the most desperately lost people in our churches, Chad Lamb, are people who are 60, 50, 60, 70 years old. You know why? Because it's been so long since they did what they did. They don't even know what they did. And some of you are so worried today, just like Melissa was that night. Oh, what will, I, what will happen if somebody... Let me tell you something. I'd quit worrying for one second in your life what anybody thinks about you. You better worry about what Jesus thinks about you. Nine times out of ten, it'll be an answer to somebody's prayer, probably the person sitting right next to you. Well, Brady, what if I come forward today and I give my life to Jesus and I'm already a Christian? God will work that out. He's in... Say, he, you're in sales, he's in management, he'll work that out. The question is, what if you should and you don't another day? Is this point that my friend Melissa came running down. I want you to listen to it. Look up here, lock your eyes. You're listening so well, and I'm through, I promise. It is the conflict, will you say this out loud, of in versus out. Say in versus out. The Pharisees come to Jesus, the temple teachers, the religious people, in Luke chapter 15. And they say, how come you're hanging out with all these sinners? And it's so funny because I have people say that to me all the time. How come you hang out with all these people that don't go to church or anything like that? How come you hang out with these people? And I just send them Luke 15. I don't think a Christian ought to be hanging out with those people like that. So you're going to reach them in your bird egg blue walled up Sunday school class. Hey. So they come to Jesus. You know it very well. They say, how come you're hanging out with all these sinners? Jesus just starts telling stories. He says, let me tell you something. And you know the stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, prodigal son. Listen to this. Listen to this. When, I got, when this revelation came into my life, it blew the doors off my own religion. The lost sheep wandered away from the flock. Right? Are you with me? He, that's the one where he said, you know, if, if you got a hundred here and one of them wanders away, you go get it. You go get the 90, you leave, you leave the 99, quit playing with them and go get the one. 
The son, he picked up his stuff and he ran away just like the sheep. Maybe a faster speed of, of leaving. So the sheep went and the, of his own will. The son went of his own will. Listen to me, church people. But the coin... Jesus says this woman lost a coin and she went around the house sweeping. Where is that coin? I can't find it. She's trying to find the coin. Where is that coin? Listen to me, church people. Please, if you never hear a preacher preach, will you listen to this? The coin didn't pick up and run out into the field or the far country. The coin was lost. In the house. No, it's not worth applauding for. Lost. It had value. It never lost its value. But it was lost. And I'm not trying to be a melodramatic preacher. This is my burden. It was lost in the house. And I'm looking at some of you this morning. You are lost in his house. You say, Brady, if I'm on this little lane going that way, what, how do I know it? The only way I can tell you that you know anything is we have got to ask. we got to stop this church train and ask the Spirit of God to nail you down. I'm looking at some of you right now. You know I've just spent the last half hour or hour or whatever it's been talking about you. And I know if I were sitting there right now where you are, I always have to put my place in your place, myself in your place. I would be sitting thinking, dear God, what in the world do I do. You're right on time, man. I was just fixing to get you. Listen, look up here. Look up here. Look at me. Come on. Put your fingernail files down and your phones and look at Brother Brady for a minute. Have you ever met Jesus? Okay. Did he change your life or did he just did you keep him at arm's length because you held some things off? I'm looking at some men in this room today. Your whole house is going to get changed if you'll come to Jesus today. I'm looking at some single brothers in this room. Your life's going to change after this day. I'm looking at some women. and, and Listen, you're broken and you're hurt and you're mad and you're ticked. And you don't understand why you've lived the life that, is, that this life has turned out to be. The dreams you had are not there. That's why you've got to be here tonight because tonight we're going to take the roof off this puppy dog. But right now, some of you are broken. You cannot see it. But I've been standing up here all this time. You ought to see the tears being shed in this building. And it's not me. I mean, who am I? People say to me all the time, or used to say, they don't say it anymore. Oh, Brady, you're just trying to scare me. Would you look up here at me? Do I look menacing? 
I look like somebody you ought to be hanging out in the deer stand with or hanging out at Starbucks with. It's not me. This is the Word of God. I'm looking today at some women in this room. You need to come to Jesus and quit crying about what Jesus has not done in your life. Oh, did you, anybody hear that? You need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you desperately. Some of you are so empty. I'm going to be strong. There are people, Kyle, who stand on this platform and sing and do things, and they've never repented of their sin and given their life to Jesus. There are teachers in this church, small group leaders, who the reason your passion is made up and have, you have to be continually propped up is because somebody is trying to help you to become something for other people that you have never become yourself. And that is a Christian. A child of God. I ask you today, man, do y'all feel the Spirit of God in this place right now or what? I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm done. I gotta quit. I ask this question. Look at me. Look at me. Come on. Is there anybody in here who says, do not close this service I have been wasting years in emptiness. I have been wasting years in good church, but I have never met Jesus Christ. I have never met the Lord in my life. Or maybe there was a time you felt like you were a Christian. Now you're not sure. Maybe you were more committed to your denomination and you just jumped from your denomination into his house who seems to kind of be odd denominational, non-denominational, but you've just taken what you thought was real there into this, but you've never made it real in your life. You sin and there's no conviction over your sin. You need Jesus today. Is there any man, is there any brother in this room that would say, Brady Weldon, I need, to, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to be saved, and I need to be saved right now. Is there any woman here? Is there any teenager more committed to your sin than you are Jesus? And you say, I need God. I need God right now. I'm a grandmother, but I need to get my life right with Jesus. I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa, and I need to get my life right with Jesus. I'm on this, the devil has camouflaged this road. I need to get off this road. I need to come to Jesus today. It's going to take courage to answer this altar call. But let me tell you something. Better you admit Jesus in front of a few hundred people as your Lord and confess him as your Lord and Savior than to stand in that day and him say, I never knew you. And you're in front of countless gazillions of human beings. Heaven is real. Hell is still real. Hell is hot. But Jesus saves. And 2,000 years ago, he died to set you free. It's one thing to go to hell. It's another thing to die knowing you had chance after chance to change your direction. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to do something because some of you are about to jump out of your seat. If you're in the middle of the road, they'll get out of your way. If you're here today... And in your heart, in your life, you say, I am such, I'm so empty, but I don't have anybody to come with me. You come by yourself. You stand up. For, look at me. You stand up for yourself. Please. My husband won't come. Come without him. 
my wife, my wife thinks I'm a Christian. Come without her anyway. Can you imagine what a good dad will be and a good husband will be the moment he becomes a godly daddy and a God-fearing husband? Are you ready? The day has come. This is a moment to draw the line in the sand. Would you bow your heads? Two roads to destruction. Father, oh, Holy Spirit, this is so tough to preach. I don't like it. I hate it. I hate preaching this, Lord. But God, somebody's eternity is hanging in the balance today. I ask you to speak, God. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Very quickly, the hour is late. If you're here today, and you say, Brady Weldon, I do not know that Jesus Christ is in my life, but I want to know it. I do not have the assurance that Jesus is in my life. Let me tell you what a man told me years ago. Eternity is too long to be wrong. Eternity is too long to be wrong. Melissa, when she came forward to give her life to God that night, oh, what a difference in her life. Oh, what a difference in your life. The moment you give up on past versus present, taste versus eat, and in versus out. You're in the house of God, but you're not right with God. How many of you here today? Come on, here we go. I'm talking to people who are regular attenders here more than I am anybody else. How many of you here today would say, Brady Weldon, I do not know that Jesus Christ is in my life. I want to know that when I leave here, my sins are forgiven. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that heaven is my home, and I want to know that my destiny is changing. Finally, after all these years, I want to settle it in my life. Nobody's looking, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I would not embarrass you for anything, but it's decision day for you. This is the moment you've been stressing over for your whole life. It is the day that you finally can jump into nail-scarred hands, and Jesus does not drop any. Anybody. On the count of three, I want you to take your right hand and shoot it straight up in the air. By you holding your hand up, here's what you're saying. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. Today, I'm standing up for myself. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. On the count of three, there's a battle in you. There's a battle. I know. There's a battle. What will people think? What will she think? What will he think? Who cares what they think? Stand up for yourself today. On the count of three, raise your hand up and say, Brady, I want to know I have to settle this today. I'm so empty in my life. I need to settle this today. Are you ready? This is the moment we've been praying for. On the count of three, raise your hand up. I will not embarrass you. It's you saying to Jesus, I'm ready to get my life right with you, not just my Sunday. Do it now, teenager, now. Mom, dad, now. On the count of three. One, two, decision time three raise your hand up up come on up up high in there high in there high in there all over the building all over the building my god my god up 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 come on up anybody else come on keep your hand up keep your hand up up in the air high as you can come on no no halfway stuff all the way up if you physically can hold it up hold it up anybody else Anybody else sitting out there saying there's a real battle in me? Would you pray for me? Yeah, I will. But you got to raise your hand up with these people right now. Come on, raise it up. Raise it up high in the air. High in the air. I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a fraud. I want to be real. If I'm going to spend my life in church, I want to know that Jesus is in my life. I want you to do something very quickly. I don't care if you don't have your hand raised. I want you to pull your hand down now very slowly and grab the hand of the person sitting next to you if you have somebody. Grab their hand. As soon as you grab their hand, I want you to get up out of your seat with them. And I want you to come down this aisle. And I want you to stand here in front of this pulpit. Begin to come right now. 
You don't even have to wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait on a prayer or anything. God's speaking. Just come and stand right here. And when you've all gathered, we're going to pray for you. Come on, many of you. Just come and stand right here. That's right. I'll go with you. I'll serve with you. I'll be there for you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Come on right now. Come broken, come hurting, come confused, come unsure. Just come. Doesn't matter if it's one person. Doesn't matter if it's 20. Come on, there's others. Others in this room. Others in this room. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It's too long to be wrong. And today the Spirit of God is grabbing your soul, grabbing your heart. You can come today right now. Hurry. Hurry to this altar. Come on right now. Come on. Come. Come to Him. He loves you. He died on a cross for you, bearing your sins. Brady, wait on me, man. I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. Come on, some of you are in a battle right now. You're sitting out there and you're about to absolutely jump through the roof of this ceiling, of this building. I want you to get up right now. Get up and come. Come on. Brady, I got addictions in my life. Come on. Bring it all down here today. Bring your drug addiction. Bring your pain. Bring your stuff. Come broken. Come hurting. Come confused. Come on, anybody else? Brady, wait on me. Just wait. I want to ask one more question. How many of you are out there right now and you would say, Brady, would you pray for me right now because there's a battle in my soul out here while I'm sitting here? Raise your hand up right now. There's somebody out there. I need to pray for you right now. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in, in my seat and there's a battle in me. Yeah, I see you. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. There's a battle in my heart. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Listen to me. Those of you that raised your hand up, and if you didn't raise your hand, I want you to look up here at me. Everybody else, keep your head bowed for just a second. I want to ask right now, every Christian in this room, bend over and start praying like you've never prayed before in a church service. Music and tinkling on cymbals and stuff doesn't get people saved, but the intercession of God's people will do it. Pray right now. But if you raised your hand or you know you should have, would you look up here at Brady for just a second? All of you in your seat, would you look up here at me? What good does it do to dabble a few tears and get up and go home knowing that things are not right in your soul? What good does it do? Today, settle your eternity with Jesus. I'm going to wait about 30 more seconds. I'm going to talk to these precious people here. I want you to do something. I want you to do something. It's going to take courage. It's going to take all the guts you've got. I want you to get out of your seat right now. And I want you to run to this altar. I want you to get down here quick. Right now. Right now. Right now. There's some husbands in this room. God is stirring all over you. But you got so much pride, don't you, brother? You need to come right now. Come on. Come on. I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a God man. Get up and come. Come on. That's right. There's a battle. you got to give up on yourself. You cannot fix this battle. You cannot save yourself. Come quickly. Come quickly. Teenager, mama, daddy, grandma, they're still coming. They're still coming. Come on. I know the hour's late and there's people outside waiting for, to get in this building, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll stand here all day if people keep coming. Anybody else? Brady, wait on me. Wait on me. i got to get down there. See, you're trying to push it away, aren't you? You can't do that anymore because God's got a plan for your life. But you got to touch first base first, and that is to repent of your sin and give your life to Christ. Come on right now, quickly. Ten more seconds. There are people in hell who wish they had ten more seconds to get it right. Just come on right now. 
Anybody? Anybody else? Hurry. Oh, Brady, wait on me. Here I come. Anybody else? All of you that are standing down here, would you look up here at me just a second? What a day for you, huh? What a day. I want you to know this. You're not down here because I asked you. You're not down here because I stirred something in you. It's not about me. You can touch me. I'm just as messed up as human being as you've ever met. You think you got problems. You, ain't, you probably have some. I probably got more. You're here because God's Spirit arrested you. And the Bible says no man can come to Him except the Spirit draw him. And today, the Spirit of God's drawing you. And today, if you're serious about this, saying yes to Jesus, there is nothing keeping you from jumping off the ledge into nail-scarred hands. And let me tell you something about this Jesus. He doesn't drop anybody. He comes to you and He changes you. And He'll keep on changing you. He's committed to your deliverance and your change. But I can't do it for you. The friend who came with you can't do it for you. But I tell you what, we can help lead you to Jesus. A church, I want you to open your eyes and look up here. It's a beautiful picture we see. But I want you to do something out there. Would you, been, would you pray this prayer with these people out loud? Would y'all help me pray out there? I said, would you help me pray with them? We're going to pray let the devil know he ain't going to get them. We're going to pray let Jesus know he's welcome to hear them. And I'll tell you what I've seen hundreds and hundreds of times across this world. Yeah, you can stand if you want to. I've seen people pray that were out there in their seat. They thought they were praying to help them. They ended up praying it for themselves. Let's pray. If you're here and you need Jesus in your life, pray this with everything in you. The rest of us will just pray along with you. Pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, come on, let's get some volume up in here. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for my life. Thank you for giving me life. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Everything I am is now yours. Come into my life, Jesus Christ. Save me. Change me forever. Deliver me and set me free. You are my Lord. You are my boss. You are my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.